When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. Sometimes headlines don't make sense. The words jar. The twist in the tale is too sharp. The turn of events too dramatic. You read it once, you read it twice. A second stretches and seven stages of grief fill the gap. Disbelief, denial, sadness. The 4th of March 2022 is like that. A dreary English afternoon drifting into evening. A sunny Australian morning dawning. And something is spreading to darken both. It buzzes in pockets. It's whispered at dinner tables. It's shouted from news bulletins. A superstar in the game of cricket. Shane, Warren dead. Three words that don't belong together. No matter how many times you hear it, no matter how many ways you're told, it doesn't make sense. Not Shane. Not dead. This is what he's written just a few hours before. It's to mark the death of Rod Marsh, an Australian cricketing great just like Shane, but 22 years older, a different generation, higher up the order, nearer to the end. This is what Shane taps into his phone. Sad to hear the news Rod Marsh has passed. He was a legend of our great game and an inspiration. R.I.P., mate. Shane's unaware, like the rest of us, that his own end is so near. Shane's not old. Not in years, not really. He's 52. Nature has been kind. Surgery's helped out too. Shane's slim, his teeth shine, his hair's full. But he's young in spirit too. The glint in the eye still sparkles. The wit still spiky. He's still everywhere. On the television, in the gossip columns, staring out from adverts, always smiling, never shy, never silent. Irrepressible. There's no slow decline for Shane. No dimming of the light. No gentle fade to black. And when you recover from the news, when it finally sinks in, the end makes sense. Shane shoots to fame like a fireball, a talent no one saw coming. And the world's playing catch-up ever since. You try to outsmart Shane. You try to second-guess Shane. You try to shout down Shane. But you'll fail. He's always one step ahead, with one more trick up his sleeve, one more surprise in store. There's no other way to depart. The same way he came. Suddenly, shockingly, blindsiding the world for one final time. See, Shane stands on a table on the balcony. His blonde hair swept back, greasy with sweat and sun cream, sticky with drying lager. His shirt rides up, caught on the rise of his belly. 
He pokes his backside out and over his head he holds a stump. He sways and dances. Below, the crowd cheer, jeer and laugh. Shane cups his ear to hear the noise and then demands more. It's 1997 and Shane's just crushed England again. He's the jester, but he's also the king and cricket is his court. Everywhere he goes, batsmen tremble. It's not broken ribs or busted fingers they fear. It's worse than that, far worse. They fear humiliation because Shane gets into their head. He makes them doubt the pitch, their technique, their life choices. No one else has such mastery of the ball. Shane can bend the laws of physics, the limits of what's possible on a cricket pitch. A tweak of his wrist, a riff of his fingers, and the ball is floating, drifting, dipping, fizzing. As it bounces, it jags one away, or it spits the other, or it scoots low, or sometimes, most dangerously, just stays straight. Batsmen get out to Shane, but they also get out to themselves. They hesitate, they falter, they snatch at shots that aren't there. They play the ball, but they also have to contend the man and his myth. And sometimes that's too much. It's overwhelming. There are so many possibilities when you face Shane. A thousand shades of flight, spin and height. There are so many phantoms in Shane's past. Great batsmen whose limbs are frozen, whose feet have turned to lead. And everyone fears being the next. The only one who doesn't is Mike Gatting, because he's the first. Four years before that jig on the balcony, Shane's not the most famous cricketer in the world. In fact, he's not famous at all. When Australia arrive in England, he's a footnote an unknown 23-year-old, a beach bum, with sun-kissed blonde hair and sunburnt cheeks padding out the squad. The only thing about him is how he bowls. His trade is leg spin, and business is bad. No one bowls leg spin. Not now, not at Shane's age, it doesn't work. Maybe in the days of newsreels and sepia when cricket was a gentler game played by gentlemen, but not in the modern day. Now, speed rules. Batsmen are not coaxed and confused out of the wicket. They're blown out the water. And at first in England, Shane is out of his depth, out of time. In a warm-up match, batsmen pile on the runs. They watch the ball onto the bat and send it to the stands. Again and again. Shane takes only one wicket and costs his team 122 runs. That maths doesn't add up to a career. Usually, the captain had calculate that it's a price too high and Shane had pay with his place in the team. But somehow, Shane gets another shot. He's in the team to face England in the first test. England had made a good start. They bowl Australia out cheaply. They've scored 80 themselves and given up only one wicket when Shane's thrown the ball. The batsman at the non-striker's end looks Shane up and down. A slight grin plays around his lips. This? This kid? Against Mike Gatting? One of our best against spin? This isn't gonna last long, the look seems to say. 
Warren doesn't do doubts, though. His philosophy is simple and short. It doesn't leave room for what-ifs or what-might-have-beens. The past is gone. The future for another day. All we've got is now. It's been the same since he was a kid. At school, back in Melbourne, he wouldn't work for the summer exams. He'd live for the moment, for the jokes, for his mates. He wouldn't bite his tongue to save himself trouble down the line. Once, a teacher cuffed him round the head for some bat chat. Warren picked up a hard back board rubber and hurled it straight at the teacher's groin. And at Old Trafford, he thinks the same. Relish the moment. Do your best. Do what you feel, see what happens. Or as Shane tells himself as he starts his run-up, give it a rip. And he's done it. Half a second later, Mike Gatting is staring at the spot on the ground where the ball bounced. He stares at the stumps behind him. He stares back at the crowd, at the umpire, at Shane. Disorientated, dumbfounded. Shane's sleight of hand is a magic trick he can't comprehend. Old Trafford has just got a big screen. It shows the same thing over and over. The ball, loaded with spin, shooting off the pitch at an absurd angle. Gatting, beaten, all ends up. And those replays haven't stopped since. They call it the ball of the century. But Shane's moving on. Time for the next, time for the now. In the following over, Shane takes another wicket. He finishes with four from that innings and four from the next. He's named man of the match. A legend is born and Shane can never go back. This is what he says about that day, that delivery. The getting ball definitely changed my life. I'd walk out of the hotel and there were 20 photographers following me when I went out to eat, when I went to the pub. There was no school that could teach you how to deal with that, so... I chose to be honest, upfront, and just be me. And plenty of others chose to be him too, because that ball, that day, changed a sport as well as a life. Shane saw it. When he went to South London, Birmingham, Bristol, Leicester, Southampton, it was the same. As the Australia team bus pulled up, you'd see them, kids. Their faces smeared in zinc cream against the weak English sun their wrists cocked, their fingers wrapped around the ball, trying to bowl leg spin, trying to be Shane. A knuckle taps the car window. Shane's chin lifts slowly off his chest. His eyes swim with sleep, then slowly come to focus. He winds down the window. It's a morning in May, a big morning for Shane's team, the third day of a big match, but for Shane, it's been a big night too. It ends with a few hours sleep at the wheel of his BMW in a stadium car park in Southampton. It's the team's physio who's woken him up, a fellow Aussie, a good mate. He helps Shane get his kit together, opens up the dressing room, does the talking while Shane has a shower to sober up and shape up. By the start of play, Shane's back, barking orders in the huddle, building up his teammates, breaking down the opposition. He takes responsibility. He puts himself on to bowl the first over and stays there for the whole day, caught up in the contest, sniffing weakness, reveling in the thrill of the chase. He ends with seven wickets, 
his best performance for his country. And Shane's back in the dressing room, cold can in hand when his phone rings, an unknown number. He ignores it and keeps drinking, but the phone rings again. Shane, intrigued, picks it up. It's a tabloid editor. They've got pictures from the night before. It's him, two girls, having sex in a London flat. Warns wearing pants with the Playboy bunny logo on in some of them. The pictures are dynamite. Shane sells copies. They're going to be splashed all over the front. Shane puts the phone down and keeps drinking. This is what Shane says about controversy, about what happens when the consequences catch up. I've often wondered about the point of regret, he says. If something is done, move on. And Shane gets plenty of practice. His appetite is enormous, not just for cricket, but for fun in all its forms. Fast women, fast cars, big bets, bigger bar bills. If there's adventure, he's in. There are bad choices. When a dodgy bookmaker hands him a $5,000 chip in a Colombo casino, or when Shane's mum gives him a diet pill to shake off a few pounds and he doesn't check if it passes doping rules. Shane says yes when opportunity knocks. The thrill of the present trumps everything. His lust for life is never sated. And he lets it all hang out, unashamed, unabashed. At times, it's almost caricature. Someone writes a spoof opening page to Shane's autobiography. In the first couple of lines, the fake Shane brags about being the greatest leg spinner there ever was and the world's foremost heterosexual lovemaker. He reminisces about lying on his hotel bed before a match, puffing a cigarette, sipping cheap lager and munching crisps. Plenty are taken in on social media. Is it real? With Shane? Who knows? He's a boy of one era, one of hard drinking, harsh words and tough characters, but a man in another. As he grows up, Shane sees sport change around him. Sport scrubs up. It sands off the rough edges. It gets a sleek corporate gloss. And the players can't spoil that. There's too much money involved. So they become bland and beige, careful to toe the line and keep their noses clean. Shane doesn't know. He doesn't change. And he doesn't apologize. Instead, he relishes the mess and joy that come together and can't be unpicked. This is what he says about how he is and how he's seen. I've never pretended to be something I'm not. I think that's why people still like me. We'll be back after this short break. Whoa, 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 whoa. Beep, 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 beep. I love Death of a Sports Star more than anyone, but there does need to be an ad break in here somewhere to pay for it all. I'm Joe Marler, and I'm going to use the start of this ad break to trail The Joe Marler Show. Download The Joe Marler Show in your podcast app. Up next, there'll be an advert for a real company trying to sell you something. Don't skip it. And then Death of a Sports Star will continue after that. I'm Bruce. 
Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. The only sounds are water slipping over the edge of an infinity pool, crickets chirping, and laughter. The sun dips towards the sea. The heat slips out of the day. Lights glow in the town below. In a villa, set in the mountainside, thoughts turn to drink, dinner, and wherever the night might lead. Shane's in Thailand, a boy's holiday with four mates, a chance to unwind. After being cooped up in a studio as a commentator, with the bad food, lights and long hours, he needs it. He's working on himself, working hard. A two-week juice diet to get trim, some tanning oil to get some colour, new clothes to freshen up his image. He's smarter now than he was, a little mellower with age, a little more moneyed. The energy has dimmed a notch, perhaps, but the warmth has crept up a touch. He seems content. Shane walks back into the villa, several hundred dollars lighter. A local tailor has measured him for five jackets, five shirts, ten pairs of trousers. The talk in the villa is of where to go. It's the first proper night of the holiday, but Shane's not ready, not yet. The little rush he gets from spending time and money on himself? He's not finished with it yet. He's going to get a massage, knock out some cricks in his back ease some knots in his tired muscles. He'll be ready, though. He'll see his mates at five. Of course he will. First night, new place, good people. Shane wouldn't miss it. See you then, he says, as he goes to his room. But then it's 5.15. The masseurs have come and gone. Shane's door's still closed, and it's silent behind. The shower's not running. The television isn't blaring. The man himself isn't singing, spraying and shaving like he usually does before a night out. Maybe he's napping. Maybe it's jet lag. A friend knocks, comes into the room, gives Shane a shake on the shoulder, gently. Shane doesn't get up. A niggle of fear rises instead. Another shake of the shoulder, more urgent, less gentle this time. Now, panic grows fast. The same word repeated over, louder each time. Shane. Shane. Shane! He's messing around, isn't he? Those eyes will pop open. That face will crinkle into a smile. That chuckle will fill the villa. That's what his mates hope as they rush in. That's when they realise what isn't going to happen. Something serious is happening instead. Shane's heavy as they move him to the floor his limbs flopping out of their grasp. One of them starts pumping Shane's chest, breathing into his lungs. They shout his name, hoping to reach him wherever he is, hoping he'll answer a mate's call once more, hoping the adventure's not over. But this time, 
for once. Shane's silent. He embraced life so hard. Now, it slipped his grasp. He never saw it coming. He never did with Shane. Cricket grieves. Ricky Ponting's his old captain. He's seen the genius and the folly close up. He calls Shane the greatest bowler he ever played with or against. But that's not what he remembers, not most. It's not Mike Gatting or the hundreds of other batsmen bewitched by the bowler, but instead, the man behind the myth, Shane behind the fame. This is how Ricky remembers him. Shane was someone you could always count on. Someone who loved his family, someone who'd be there for you when you needed him and always put his mates first. But the eulogies came from far beyond cricket because Shane was too big a personality to be contained by one sport. Actor Hugh Jackman said he was grateful to have known him. Rolling Stones frontman Mick Jagger said he was so saddened by his death. Pop star Ed Sheeran was one of his friends. And this is what he says. He was the kindest heart and always went above and beyond to make people feel welcome and special. He gave so many hours and years of his life to bring joy to others and was such an amazing friend to me. I bloody miss you, mate. People feel that. They can see it in the smallest things. The way Shane carried himself. The big personality, but the small ego. The smile that was there for everyone. The respect he paid to those who could give him nothing back. People he shared a couple of seconds with, a selfie, a smile, or his signature. They remember how Shane gave his time with his wit, his wisdom. When he dies, all those many acts of kindness come back to Shane with interest. In Australia, they gather at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. It's Shane's home ground in his hometown, the scene of some of his earliest games, the scene of some of his greatest days. Outside the stadium, there's a huge statue of Shane. He stands on a seven-foot pedestal, shaped from bronze, wrist flexed, tongue poking out in concentration. The ball's an instant from release. Fans bring mementos to lay at his feet, but not what you might expect. They don't come carrying flowers or handwritten notes. There's no ceremony and solemnity, no pomp and circumstance just love. Person after person reaches up onto the pedestal and leaves a can of beans, or a bottle of beer, or a pack of cigarettes, or an old cricket ball, frayed and tattered in the local backyard games. The passions that fed and fueled chain, the things that summed up the spirit he lived by. What feels right can't be wrong. They soon fill the podium and spread onto the street below. It's quite a sight. People stand back and take it in. And then they start laughing. At the base of the statue, a dog has appeared. Bottom in the air, he's snuffling round the base of the statue. He sniffed some pizza, left for Shane. It's ham and pineapple, one of his favourites. The dog emerges from among the tributes, a slice hanging limply from his jaws. His eyes look a little sheepish, but not for long. The dog skips away gleefully, greedily scoffing down the pizza, relishing the taste, the joy, the moment. People laugh. 
Shane would have liked that, they say. Shane would have got that. And a little part of them feels lighter, warmer, like Shane always made them feel. Like he still makes them feel. This episode of Death of a Sports Star was written by Mike Henson and performed by me, Emma Clark. It was edited by Crawford Blair. For research, we read No Spin, Shane's autobiography, and delved into the archives of the BBC, The Guardian, The Herald Sun, The Daily Mail, and ESPN Crick Info. The music we used is from our partners, BMG Production Music. If you enjoyed this episode, there are more you can listen to. Try the story of Pat Tillman, the all-American hero who gave up a career in the NFL to fight in Afghanistan, but who was disillusioned by the war he found himself fighting in. Or Ayrton Senna, the greatest motor racer the world had seen, the man who made cars dance until a fatal misstep in Imola. And we have another series called Death of a Rockstar, which is about Freddie Mercury, Amy Winehouse, Michael Jackson and more. Check that out by searching for Death of a Rockstar in your podcast app. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age... You're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. 
Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.